We're going to be talking about trad bows, bear hunting, and tattoos. There exists a threat from anti-hunting groups to politicians trying to give our land away, and we won't stand for it. Those vast western landscapes provide the space for our wildlife to thrive and a place for hunters and anglers to fuel the fire that sparks their soul. In this show, we share our love of hunting, fishing, and conservation. Here, we provide the foundation to meet these threats through passion and the grit of the American outdoorsman. Welcome to the Western Huntsman Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to episode 30, the Big Bad Dirty 30 at the Western Huntsman Podcast, coming at you from the Broken Tine Studio in Hayden, Idaho. How you guys doing? Thanks a bunch for tuning in. Glad you guys are here. I got a really good episode. It's a, it's a really fun episode. Uh, nice kind of shift in gears. And uh, that was, this is going to be, and I'll, I'll explain this a little bit later, but this is going to be with Nate Davenport. So uh, before we do that, I want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Phelps Game Calls. Guys, we are only about, well, we're a little over a month out from September. It, do, do you have your game calls? You need to have your game calls. You gotta, you gotta have that stuff ready to go and get you some backups because I'll tell you a little, I, I went a little bit, uh, down South, uh, if you will, in Idaho, uh, to go elk hunting last year. And I, I didn't grab my, my call pouch, my reeds. I had like four of them in my call pouch. So I get down to this area and, uh, realize I've only got one reed left and it's one that doesn't work very well. Cause I kind of blew it out. And so I go into this sporting goods store in, in this little town uh, and, and go in there, and they've got reeds all over the place. But the one particular reed that I used from Phelps was sold out. So I had to buy uh, one of the other ones and kind of learn how to use it as I, as I go up because they all have this, like, specific nuance to them, right? They're not all the same. you gotta you got to know what you're using before you get on the mountain and into the woods going after these elk uh, cu- coming up in, in September, and it's coming up quick. So make sure you're going to Phelps. Uh, go to phelps.com and and pick out your reeds and, and get those things ordered and, and save you some money. Use the promo code uh, HUNTSMAN10, and uh, that'll save you 10% over at Phelps Game Calls. It's a great company, great story. It's just these are great people. Um, I really enjoy being a partner uh, with, with Phelps Game Calls because uh, I'm just a big fan of the whole company. They're they're great. They do a lot of things for the hunting industry. Uh, again, promo code on that one is HUNTSMAN10. And that is uh, going to save you 10% right there, right off the top. And then uh, going into scree, let's talk about scree gear. And uh, again, timing. You can't wait until like a week before season to get this stuff because there's a few things that could happen. It could get lost in shipping. It could get. It could show up and be the wrong size. It could uh, be damaged when it shows up, and you won't have enough time to turn it around and get get the new gear back. So that's why I'm saying try to get this stuff now because September is closing in fast, and October is even closing in fast for for you rifle hunters for elk. So and and deer hunting and all all these all the fall hunts are coming up quick. So Scree is kind of my recommendation for technical hunting apparel if you guys want 
high-performance outdoor hunting apparel in camo without having to take out a second mortgage on the bank and, and get this stuff because we all know how expensive this stuff can get. And the cool thing with Scree is they have these bundle packages that you can get, uh, like the Elk Bundle or the Starter Bundle, all these different bundles you can get over at ScreeGear.com. And uh, it just comes with everything. You're all set. So you'd be you'd be all set. So I have the I have the hard scrabble pants. I have the hard scrabble jacket. I have the kaibab top. Uh, I can't remember what the name of the t-shirt is I have, but I freaking love that thing, man. It is just it wicks moisture right off it, and it's not even an expensive piece of gear. I think it was like twenty bucks in their clearance section. So uh, really been liking that. Uh, I got the hard scrabble vest. That one's pretty cool. I like the mountain stealth camo. Uh, that kind of goes, uh, it bodes well in the areas that I hunt. So that stuff is all ready for you guys to check out. And I really encourage it because of the time of year. It's coming up quick. Get you your stuff. And uh, again, save you some money. Use the promo code, the Western Huntsman, and that'll get you 15% off and free shipping. That's a huge discount. So uh, that hopefully you guys check that out. Hopefully that helps you guys. Um, I do have another promo code for you, too, if you guys are in the market for boots. If you guys listened to last week's episode with Jim Hoffman over at Hoffman Boots, he was kind enough to give us a, uh, a, 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 a promo code. He's not a, they're, they're not like a formal show sponsor. Well, I'm hoping they're going to be, but, but as of right now, they're not. But if you guys are interested in some really good boots, I recommend the Explorers for, for September elk hunting. The, the non-insulated, because that is going to, it's just a great all-around boot. Check it out. Uh, again, the promo code on that one is HUNTSMAN15, and that is all caps lock on the HUNTSMAN part, H-U-N-T-S-M-A-N-15, and that'll get you 15% off on those new boots. Good time to get them so you can break them in before September rolls around and October rolls around and some of these later hunts uh, coming up in November and stuff. So I'll I'll put all that in the show notes, guys, so make it easy for you. So, uh, again, appreciate you guys tuning in. If you are new to the show, I want to talk to you for a minute because this is not just your average hunting podcast. This is a podcast that um, that was kind of born out of a like a, a, a lot of situations that I see happening within the hunting community and within the hunting industry or uh, some of the things w- happening within our with our, our, our own country. Um, gosh, if I could spit that out. By the way, if you're new to the show, sometimes I just I can't spit things out, man. You gotta you just gotta bear with me because I'm not gonna go back and edit all this stuff and make it sound perfect. <laughs> so um, yeah, I, I, the, the Western Huntsman is is a platform that I started. Uh, a while ago, I don't know, a year and a half ago or something like that. And it was just kind of a place for me to put a bunch of articles that I've written and uh, be involved in the hunting industry as much as I could be, uh, just kind of a side thing, right? Uh, and and so I decided to add the podcast uh, last December, and we started the podcast. This is now episode 30, and we we put out weekly episodes they range from 45 minutes all the way to three hours, depending on who the guest is and and what we're talking about and and whatever the case is. It just uh, there's there's a lot of ground we like to cover. But the mission of the Western Huntsman is is to inspire a genuine passion for hunting and fishing and conservation. And this is so that we can develop a strong coalition of American outdoorsmen that are willing to fight and protect our hunting rights, our public lands access, and our wildlife. That's the the basic foundational purpose of this show being started. And so 
yes, we get on and we talk hunting, we talk fishing, we talk conservation topics. I mean, we go down all sorts of rabbit holes. You'll find out in this episode, it's not all just about hunting. I mean, we we talk, we spent a lot of long time today talking about tattoos and different different uh, uh, t- tattoos that have. Well, I, I don't want to spill the beans there. The the point is is this is a, a an American outdoorsman show for Western hunters that like to talk about things that are you know in regards to hunting and other topics. We don't. It's it's not like a big time political show, but sometimes we bump into politics. It's not a big time anything else kind of show, but sometimes we bump into other subjects. And if it, if if I feel like it's just a good flow and a good conversation, we're gonna keep going, man. We're just gonna keep doing it. And and that's kind of that's kind of how we we've been rolling, and um and so I just kind of wanted to give that that kind of basis for for our new listeners. I know we've I've noticed we've had this huge influx in downloads, and so I, I just wanted to give a shout out to the new listeners. Welcome to the show. Uh, hope you guys like it. Um, I'm super passionate about hunting. I'm super passionate about fishing and conservation and all sorts of things outdoors. And I love having conversations with good guests, whether they're here in the studio or I'm connecting with them over, you know, online or something like that. It's uh, that's that's kind of how we format the show, and and that's what it's about. And so, uh, yeah, again, welcome. Thanks, thanks you guys for for tuning in and downloading the show and telling your friends about it. Um, We've gotten some really good reviews on Apple I, or uh, Apple Podcasts. I appreciate you guys who have have written the reviews. Uh, if you haven't and and you like the show, uh, we'd appreciate it if you if you write us a review. If you don't like the show, you know, just keep it between us. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> so I think that's a good deal, right? And so uh, yeah. Anyway, guys, today's guest is uh, is a guy that I met. Um, we actually kind of met through like on Facebook a, f- a few years back, I started this group, uh, cause like I was telling you earlier, this is, uh, we're, we're based out of North Idaho, but it's a Western hunting podcast. So it doesn't matter if you hunt in Arizona or Colorado or Montana or Wyoming or Utah, um, all the Western States, Nevada, Washington, Oregon, uh, all these Western hunting States. And, uh, but, but I'm based out of North Idaho. So I started this group on Facebook a few years back. I don't even know what year that was. It's called North Idaho Archery Hunters. And it was just kind of a place. The idea was to, you know, have hunters locally here, post different things and and offer advice and tips and stuff like that. Uh, and this guy, Nate Davenport shows up to the group and uh, him and I have kind of been friends ever since. And he's, he's a super cool guy. He's a tattoo artist by trade. He goes out and uh, kills bears with his trad recurve bow, and uh, he's he he gets elk in in um, by by calling them into his tree stand, which is just insane to me. I've never even heard of such a thing, and he uh, but he's he's done it, and he's really good at it, and he's he's a great guy to have a conversation with because he's got a lot to say, and he's uh, I I think that he has a lot to offer. Uh, but hasn't had a lot of opportunities to offer some of the things that that should be said that he's he's passionate about. So I wanted to get him on the show, and that's another thing I wanted to mention to some of you new listeners. 
you know, we've had some really big names on this show. We've had everybody from Dirk Durham to, to Corey Jacobson to, uh, you know, the elk nut Paul Medell. Um, <clears throat> we've had Chris Rowe. In fact, Chris Rowe is coming back on this month to talk about elk hunting in our School of September series, which is a, a monthly series uh, episode. It's a bonus episode that I release uh, that gears everybody up for, for September elk hunting. And, and so we've got Chris Rowe. I think I'm recording with him tomorrow night. And um, we've got Jason Phelps coming up. We've had Michael Batiste on of the Elk Calling Academy. All these big names. But that said, I also want to take the the people that don't have these large platforms and are not well known out there. They're not like all over YouTube and social media and TV and all these different uh, platforms that a lot of people know about. And, you know, sometimes you can get a little bit repetitive having those same kind of people on all the time. And so... And and don't take that wrong. I love having them on because they have a lot of insight and they offer a lot of things to hunters, especially me. I learn I learn a lot of uh, things about hunting and wh- whether it's tactics or advice or tips, strategies, whatever. I, lo- I learn a ton by doing this show, and that's probably my favorite part. The second would be uh, the friends that I make with the guests and the listeners. That's always a huge part for me. I've made some really good friends and and uh, the listeners have become, uh, I've made a lot of really good friends out of the, the guys that are listening to this show and they reach out to me. And so that's important to me. So the point I'm trying to get at is there's a lot of people that are really good at hunting or they have a really good perspective or insight on a specific area of hunting, the hunting world, the hunting industry, the hunting community, whatever it is. And I want to give those guys that are not well-known a platform to share their voice with, uh, with you guys, the listener, because we can learn a lot from these guys that nobody's ever heard from. And so it's really uh, a fresh perspective. And so the the fact that they're not out there promoting themselves and are, are well-known names and all this stuff is irrelevant as to the information that we can we can garner from from these guys being on the show and I think that's super important I think it's I think it's really cool um, I really like that and so this is what kind of comes out of it with uh, with Nate uh, the guy that we're we're going to be talking to today Nate Davenport like I said he's a he's just a cool dude. He's a killer uh, bow hunter, and he's he's picked up recently doing kind of more. He's he's like kind of becoming a purist on me, where he just wants to do his uh, shoot his recurve, and I have a lot of friends that do it that way. Um, and and Nate was successful uh, getting a bear, a black bear this year in Idaho with his recurve, and uh, and we talk all, all sorts of stuff, whether it's tattoos and and getting youth involved in hunting. Uh, to elk hunting, to to just different avenues of of uh, you know different aspects of of the hunting world. This is a conversation that you want to listen to. So, with that said, give it up for my boy Nate Davenport, my favorite tattoo artist in the world, and I can't wait to go do. We're gonna we agreed to go do some hunting this year. And with that said, guys, we will talk to you later. Enjoy this episode. guys i'm here with nate davenport from post falls idaho my favorite tattoo artist in the world 
Uh, Nate is a super interesting guy. He does all sorts of trad hunting, trad bow hunting, uh, archery hunting. Uh, we're going to talk about a youth foundation he's involved with uh, and, and all sorts of stuff. So, Nate, I appreciate you coming on, man. This is awesome. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate you having me. You're not uh, – don't be nervous about being on the show, man. You're not nervous, right? <laughs> yeah, you've had uh, pretty high-caliber uh, guests on lately. Nah. nah, nobody even knows who those guys are. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm excited, man. This is this is awesome. I've known Date, Nate uh, – we met – I think the first time we met was at that Elks seminar last year, right? Yep. And then uh, we've been like friends on Facebook and stuff, and so um, – you're going to hook me up with a tattoo at some point, right? Absolutely. As soon as yeah. I figure out what I want. Yeah. And so uh, give us a little bit of background on you real quick so the audience knows who you are, uh, where you're from, and, and kind of your involvement with hunting and all that kind of stuff. And we'll just take it from there. You bet. Um, I live in Post Falls. Uh, I work over in Spokane, but I've been a Idaho native. I grew up here. I was born in Coeur d'Alene and spent my whole life here. I um, lived... I think I've lived in just about every city in the in Kootenai County, um, but after me and my wife started having kids, we definitely knew that Post Falls was where we wanted to be. And yeah, she kind of moved all over as a kid, and she wanted to make sure that the kids were going to be in the same school for 12 years. And and uh, so we've been um, in the same house for like the last 17 years. And oh, really? Yeah. So yeah. we're we're. Uh, pretty comfortable there and our neighbors are awesome so that's what keeps us there more than anything that's super important man yeah 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 even when like living out here yeah i've got one good neighbor and one bad i hope they're not listening (laughs) yeah (laughs) so but uh, i've got i've got good neighbors but uh one of them not so good not so good right like one of those stuff they think this is a dictatorship on this road like so yeah no me and my wife uh we we used to live in post falls uh, and so it's, it's a really, it's growing like crazy. It's um, not traffic is crazy. Yeah. Like, well, that's people what, and that's people laugh thing. at me when I say, you know, traffic in Coeur d'Alene or Post Falls, but it's just, it's been nuts, you know, well, to grow up here like my whole not, life. And then to see it wasn't designed for this much, this many people, no. you know, like you have, if you like going from here to Coeur d'Alene to get on the freeway is a journey yeah. because of the traffic now. Yeah. And so, you know, People are less and less uh, courteous, and you know, yeah, what I for mean? sure. Like it's just, it's a rat race. Yeah, for sure. So if anybody's listening to this, thinking about moving to North Idaho, <laughs> let me tell you something. Not only are the grizzlies wiping out half the population, but the snow. You you probably get ten feet of snow out where yeah. you live, right? Yeah. I get I get fifteen feet. Yeah. Here. <laughs> There's quicksand. Quicksand. Lava pits. Yep. Uh, rattlesnakes with <laughs> yeah. lasers yeah. on their heads. Yeah. And uh, it's just not a good place to be, so, you know, stay where you're at. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> wants laser snakes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and tell us a little bit about your, your hunting background, man. Um, I grew up hunting, um, you know, early on with my father and grandfather. They um, they would take us out, and um, it was definitely um, kind of getting thrown to the wolves in the sense that we you know, they didn't teach us much or, you know, didn't shoot much or, you know, they yeah. didn't really mentor us much. We, um, were allowed to, you know, go along and kind of learn, you know, learn the ways. And, um, it was nice to be able to hunt with some different 
people growing up and yeah, lots of family and lots of friends and stuff like that. And so, um, could definitely learn a little bit from, from everybody or whatever. And now I hunt with my kids quite a bit and, and, um, we, uh, you know, we try to fill the freezer as much as possible and try and put as much different variety of meat in there that we mm-hmm. know it's healthy and organic and, and that's a big part of, you know, what we do and why we do it. And what's your favorite thing. game meat? You know, we t- I talk about this all the time. Every time I cook something, I feel, oh, this is my favorite. But <laughs> yeah, um, I honestly think that, which is biz- kind of bizarre, but um, as far as my family goes, they enjoy eating duck probably more than anything oh, else really? that we put in the freezer. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. When I first started duck hunting, I couldn't cook it. Yeah, you know, I struggled to cook it that would make it palatable and you know want to want to eat it or whatever and. I got a couple of cookbooks from this guy named Hank Shaw, and he's a hunter chef. And um, I've heard that name. His his um, his duck and goose book is called Duck Duck Goose. Um, he has one for a big game that's called uh, Buck Buck Moose, and then oh, I really? think he has a small <laughs> game one that's called. Uh, Something something squirrel open. quail cottontail or oh, something really? like I'm that. I'm gonna find so, that. That's that's pretty. But cool. they're fantastic and um, man, I mean, every single recipe we've tried out of there has just been like. I'm gonna out. have yeah. to try that because that's why I stopped duck hunting. I didn't like the taste and oh, man, and everybody's like, no, you're not cooking it right, and that's probably true. Yeah, but it's uh, it's it's funny, but we we get a ton of use out of out of the duck. We probably use more of the whole animal that way because mm-hmm. we. Well, I will uh, basically pluck the whole bird, and then I reserve the fat from the inside and the oh, cool. and from the skin for most of the skin, and we render that down and use it for cooking oil. Hmm. And then we'll I'll breast it out with the skin on, and we'll sear those, and then just do like a little you know sauce over the top, cool. just like barely cooked, you know, really like crispy on the bre- or crispy on the skin, but uh, rare, okay. you know. So you're going to take me duck hunting this year? Sure. I, yeah, I haven't absolutely. done it since I was probably a teenager. I love taking people out. Yeah, I'll, I'll go, man. I'll, I'll go uh, learn a few things because, I, yeah, I, I just – I flat out stopped. I got into, I got way into upland game. Oh, yeah. And love too. pheasant and quail hunting. Yeah. And have, have a ball. I don't know where the dog is, Trev. He was around, I think, before you got here. But anyway, he – he left. So, oh, I didn't I didn't say that. So Nate's in the studio with me today. We're in the Broken Time studio, and uh, which is always my favorite way to do this. Uh, this is, uh, you know, as, as I'm getting more people in, uh, being able to come in, it's so much better than doing it over the Internet. It's, like, less personable that way. You know totally. what I mean? Yeah, this is nice. So uh, we're, we're sharing a cold Coors Light. <laughs> it is flowing, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you saw the fridge. We got plenty. All so, right. If I if we'll have my if you need a DD, my wife's just in the house. We can, <laughs> we can get you home. <laughs> so we got a couple of uh, cool things uh, to to talk about today. Uh, Nate is probably the only dude that I know that has called in a bull elk and shot it uh, with his bow from a tree stand, and uh, you're probably the only person that i know personally that's uh, shot a bear with a trad bow and so those are super cool both of those are, are are a big deal like i i don't know how you have the discipline for a tree stand for elk hunting and and because i'm just i don't have it i get i think i get too antsy antsy oh it's so it it eats at your soul a little bit yeah to sit in a tree stand every every minute that you sit out there it, 
<laughs> yeah. So I, I want to get into that. We're, we're going to get into that. Uh, cause that's a, that's a hell of a story. You called one into a tree stand and, and whacked him. <laughs> yeah. It was sort of an accident, but <laughs> All right. well, we're going to circle back to that in a minute. I think so for the, for, for you guys listening, if, if you guys haven't seen Dirk Durham, the bugler who's been on the show a couple times has started himself a new podcast and it's called the Bugler Broadcast Podcast. He can't be normal. He can't just have a normal name. It's called the Bugler Podcast Broadcast. No, I said that backwards. The Bugler Broadcast Podcast. Okay, so I want to call him up while we're recording, and and uh, we're we're gonna leave it. So what you do on this podcast is you call Dirk's number, and uh, and you leave him a message as to what you want him to answer about elk hunting, and we have a couple of elk hunting questions, right? Yeah. So. Um, we're going to, we're going to do that live here on, on the air. Let me move my beer over before I spill it all over the recording equipment. That wouldn't be super cool. All right. So, and if you guys want to do that, call Dirk's lineup. It's a, it's uh you call the number is 208-963-5389. So, and I'll just put it on speakerphone because I bought the wire to hook up to the board to call from this, but it's not working. I can't figure it out. So, uh, I need an expert. Five three eight nine. Okay, here we go. That's coming through, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. So this is Dirk's podcast line. If you got a funny question too, just just hit him with it. <laughs> Come on, Dirk. Just have your voicemail pick up. I'm gonna have to give him a hard time about that. Oh, there it is. Oh, hey there. You've reached the Bugler Broadcast podcast. Please leave a very detailed message about your elk hunting question or maybe a very crazy elk hunting story that you'd like to share with our listeners and viewers. Thank you very much, and keep on bugling. <laughs> Dirk, man, this is Jim over at the Western Huntsman, and I'm calling live while we're recording an episode, me and my buddy Nate Davenport up here in the Broken Tiny studio. How you doing, buddy? So we, we have some questions. First of all, what are you wearing? <laughs> okay, no, don't don't answer that because he will. We want we want to we want you to answer the question uh, that we don't hear a lot of people talking about in regards to solo hunting and bugling. And so uh, Nate and I are both uh, we do a lot of solo hunting. And it's, there's not a lot of clarity with what you do with your bugle and, and which direction. Uh, well, basically, just kind of walk us through how calling elk changes as a solo hunter. That would be a pretty cool question. Do you got anything to add to that, Nate? No, I mean, I, th- I think that, that people talk a lot about, you know, team calling and uh, partner calling and stuff like that. But yeah. solo Solo hunting needs to be touched base on for sure. Yeah, because there's a lot of us that we don't have like a consistent hunting partner. Maybe you and I ought to tag team this year and, yeah. and go after them. I'm but up for that. Yeah, for sure. So, so, but Dirk, for when we're out there alone and solo hunting, that's kind of what we're we're hoping you talk about. And uh, I I love the idea of the podcast, man. I think it's cool, and um, we'll wait to hear your answer and talk to you soon. Thanks, man. Okay. We left the message. <laughs> cool. So, yeah, I think that's available everywhere too, guys. I um, I want to help Dirk uh, kind of help 
you know, grow that and everything. It's going to be, it's kind of a cool concept where you just call in and, and ask elk questions. You yeah, know? Awesome. So, so super cool. So, all right, let's get back to you. I want to talk about your elk, man. So you're sitting in a tree stand, you got your bugle and you got a compound bow at this yeah, point. Compound bow. Compound yep. bow. Walk us through how you got this bull down. Okay. So we got to back up because, um, the whole reason that I'm sitting in this tree stand is because basically nothing else worked out that morning, you know, or whatever. And I had plans to take my son and, and go and hunt in another spot. And we were, I had the truck all packed and we we're going to go to a, a friend's property and hunt for a few days and, um, had all our camping gear and everything ready to go. And, uh, my son who normally, if you even just say the word hunt, he's, Wakes right up, yeah. (laughs) Jumps up in bed, you know. You can't wake him up to go to school, but as soon as it's hunt or fish on, he's ready to go, you know. Mm -hmm. The night before, he had uh, played in a football game over in Moses Lake, and so didn't get not did not get home till about ten o'clock that night, and just crashed out when he got home. And here I am at three o'clock in the morning trying to wake him up, and he's just not having it, you know. So. I ended up running a couple errands and came back and was going to, you know, grab him. And he still, I still couldn't get him up. And so by this time I was getting to be late to go out to where I wanted to go. And so I figured, well, I'll just go and hunt my tree stand for the morning and then I'll come back and grab him and we'll still go out there and, Mm -hmm. and hunt, you know? And so, um, I get out to my tree or get out to the spot and and it's still kind of dark and i'm get up into my stand right as it's getting light basically so like, how know. how far is your tree stand from where you park um it's only about a 30 minute hike or oh whatever. okay so it's so not, super not too far. bad yeah. yeah yeah but so i got there you know right about 30 minutes before light you know and then by the time i'm buckling buckling in it's you know light out or light whatever. out and let's set this up this is public land <clears throat> yep right yeah this isn't like some you know, a big game farm or something like that. No, no, it's or private um, property definitely a high pressure area, you know, yeah. lots of, um, especially during September, it's just, it gets super deep, crazy. Yeah. Pretty yeah. busy spot. And so now the tree stand that I'm sitting in, there's a road that's maybe a hundred yards above me, you mm-hmm. know, or whatever. And, um, it's not a public road, but people, you know what I mean? Can walk back in on there or whatever. Yeah. And, um, so I'm sitting and it, it's just getting light out and, um, I hear this guy bugling right up above me, hundred yards above me, straight up the hill. You say this guy, a bull or like, like a hunter? No, I mean, it has to be a hunter because it's just, it's like this guy bought a bugle last night and walked out in the woods this morning and it's his first time he's blowing on this thing. Oh, Doug and Flutie. it's like, <laughs> like a Doug Flutie situation, yeah, right? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> and so... I'm like, what's this guy doing? You know, and he, his, his bugles, there's just no infliction in it. You know, it just sounds mm-hmm. like somebody's blowing on a power bugle, but not that good at it, you know, and, um, it's even kind of broken in the middle. So it'll like kind of cut out and then picks back up at the end, oh, you know, and like pretty soon I'm, I, there's no, I knew for sure that it's a person. So I'm not going to call them down to, you know, the spot where I'm at. And, uh, just kind of wanted to, you know, let him move on. Well, pretty soon his buddy joins in and starts bugling too. And and they're both up on the hill above you. Yeah. Going like one's hundred yards above me and the other one's 150 yards up the road, you know, or whatever. And they're just 
going back and forth and they're both just terrible at it, you know? And so I'm probably for 40 minutes, I'm listening to this and pretty soon. And you're just sitting there going like, shit, go away. Yeah. 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 And usually, you know, when you hear guys bugle like that, they, you know, hit off a ridge and then they'll move on, you know, 10, 15 minutes or whatever. So, and I'm just sitting there and waiting and pretty soon I hear, this guy bugle and then he's a hundred yards up the hill and bugles again within 10 seconds. And I'm like, people don't do that. Yeah. Nobody that I know of does anything like that. Trucking up the mountain. (laughs) And so pretty soon we'll start turning and uh, I'm like, well, maybe this is an elk. And so I'm listening and pretty soon across the way, I'm basically sitting right down in this Creek bottom. Uh huh. And, um, on the ridge in front of me, this bull goes off. And I was like, well, that's an elk, you know. I'm literally sitting right in between three elk right now. And I'm like, damn, what do I what do I do now, you know. And what so, are the coordinates of this tree stand? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, ask, I ask all my guests, their best favorite, they, they got to give me their hunting spot. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that. <laughs> But so, um, I realized immediately that these are elk, you know, and, yeah. um, so I cow called and this bull just answers back right away, you know? And then in fact, the, the two guys that were behind me, which I am realizing now were young bulls, as soon as this other bull bugled, those, they were gone, you know, mm-hmm. they never did ever bugle again, but this bull, um, got pretty excited and just started coming in on a string, you know, and I cow called and I chuckled and I raked the tree next to me and he was just coming right through. But I realized pretty quick that he was going to hang up in a bad spot. Mm -hmm. I could see him come out and he was going to hang up right in the creek bed before he came up through my shooting lane, basically. And right as I saw him kind of slow down, I hit him with another cow call and he just picked right back up and literally walked right through my shooting lane at 20 yards. And, um, I mean, I literally had two, you know, solid, you know, shooting lanes on this trail that goes right through the Creek and he walked Mm -hmm. right through it, you know, sweet. And, uh, so I sent my first arrow and it was, you know, good, you know, full pass through or whatever. And that bull was just, he didn't know what to think. Didn't know what hit him. He wheeled around and went back down in the creek bed and was looking up into the trees all wild-eyed. and Like, what the hell was that kind of yeah, thing? Yeah, was still looking was for crazy. Was yeah, he, he was literally was looking into the trees. And um, he, I had another arrow loaded, and it felt like he was looking at me for an hour, <laughs> you know. It was probably like 10 seconds. But yeah. he finally turned, and I shot him again and um he only took about 10 steps and just you know piled up yeah and so nice. every time i've ever shot anything every time i've ever shot an elk with anything with a rifle or bow or anything they freaking run off and then you got to try and figure out yeah. what you know what i mean what happened and track them you know down or whatever and so when that thing tipped over it was like the greatest day ever. <laughs> yeah, know? for sure. Yeah. So like how far or how high in the tree was your stand set? Not very high. This um stand in particular like was up 
on the hill above the creek, and so I was only maybe 15 feet up in the tree stand. Oh, gotcha. Okay. But it's pretty thick cover, you know, right uh-huh. in there or whatever. And um, and so the first shot was like 20 yards, but almost, I mean, only maybe 10 feet above them or something. Uh-huh. And then the second shot was more <clears throat> like 30 and um, and uh, more like 30 feet, you know, down yeah. downward angle or something like that. But um, both arrows landed within about an inch of each other. And, um, the second arrow actually hit a, a rib on the way in and a rib on the way out and didn't get full, you know, it got full penetration, but not, you know, yeah. full pass through or whatever. But yeah. And what, and you're like, I mean, you're super proficient with a bow. I mean, you're one of those dudes, you, you practice a hell of a lot more than you probably have forgotten more about shooting bows than I will ever know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're just one of those guys and you're, I, I always see you posting how you're out shooting and you're at this 3d shoot or you're doing this and doing that. And you take your, it's like a whole family thing for you guys. Too. Absolutely. You take your whole family out. And, yeah. That's been awesome. Um, yeah, no, it's way cool. And it's, have you, before you got the elk, did you, have you ever, have you ever, uh, hunted elk from a tree stand before that year or, um, this, I killed a cow in that same spot oh, about you did? two years about two years before there nice. or whatever in that same location from the ground. But I was sitting on the ground in that same area. Did you, you call know, her in, or is that just it, it's wandered. just this spot? Just they, it's a kind of a funnel where they kind of travel through. And okay. if you sit out there long enough, you'll probably see you know see something or whatever. Sometimes it takes more sitting than you're willing to sit for do you have do you have my cell so you can text my the waypoint (laughs) (laughs) i love it man no that's cool and then so tell and then not to not to totally shift gears but i want to talk about the bear you got uh this was just like a month ago right yep Uh, and so that was actually after i shot that elk was the last time i shot a compound bow oh no no kidding yeah pick up a a trad bow so i want to know like what is i know because i kind of have a draw towards these these trad bows right i have a i call him a buddy he's actually he, he's a buddy but he he's a customer uh from my day job that custom makes his own bows and he just oh, yeah. lives right up the road uh-huh. right and and his name's mike and I'm, i've actually he's super shy but i'm trying to get him on the show to talk about how he makes these bows because they're, oh, right. they're badass bows yeah and uh but he has promised me that at, at some point he's going to sell me one of these bows that he makes right uh-huh. so i'm going to get one and i've got to draw what what kind of got you interested in switching to a trad bow uh over the compound um you know i think i've always kind of been drawn to it mm-hmm. um you know like i shot one in eighth grade like with everybody else in pe class and and it, you know it was fun to do and stuff but i pretty much shot a compound bow the you know my whole life until mm-hmm. you know about three years ago and then ended up getting a this recurve for christmas and um just haven't looked back i've been both feet in and um i used to shoot a, a lot with my compound bow but i was never felt like i was like crazy proficient i never could afford the the new best thing you know as far as like the yeah. bows go and stuff like that me so, neither man yeah <laughs> yeah that's where's my my old psc is sitting right over there yeah. and that, it's going into it's like 11th season yeah. this year yeah care. and i always you know i i hunted with garage sale bows and you know oh, yeah. what i mean yeah, like, yeah all kinds of stuff and but i i just never felt like i was very proficient you know with a compound bow we would shoot some 3d and stuff like that and i you know, could keep it in the eight ring, you know, or whatever. But, mm-hmm. um, 
I really wasn't super proficient, but once I started going on to the into the trad stuff, it I was so excited about it, and I enjoy shooting it so much that um, I want to shoot every day. I just you know, but I know also know that to have a level of proficiency with those bows takes more requires more practice, requires more effort, requires more you know. Like when you first pick one up after shooting a compound bow, did it seem like it was going to be overwhelming? Oh, for sure. After you flung a couple of arrows and it's like, holy shit. Yeah, even, I mean, when I first started, I was actually, went from shooting a 70-pound compound bow to shooting a 25-pound recurve, and I could barely get that thing back. (laughs) Really? (laughs) It's so different, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, um, it takes a lot to build up those, you know what I mean, just different muscles and stuff. Like muscle memory and muscles. and so bizarre to me that it was so different that way, you know, like. Um, I thought I could just grab a, you know, 40 or 45 pound bow and start shooting it, which I, you know, I did, but mm-hmm. at the same time, like leading up to that, I knew I was going to be, you know, I wanted to do this. And so I was shooting this little kid's 25 pound bow, you know, and it was like, <laughs> there was probably a little, a little bit of stacking going on there from this short little bow, you know, or whatever. Yeah, but, yeah. um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was eye opening, you know, or whatever. And now, um, I've been shooting, you know, 55, 60 pound, you know, recurves or whatever. And, um, it's a, it's a, it takes a little bit to get it back there, you know, or whatever. Well, and, and then with that, is it, once you flung some arrows and you started, you know, hitting targets with it and all that kind of stuff, is it more, I, I'm just trying to figure out why it's so appealing. Is it more addictive to shoot like that? I, Cause I, I, think I, it is. I love shooting my compound. Mm-hmm. To but, me, it just feels right, you know, and um, as soon as I started shooting one, I was like, well, this, you know what I mean, feels better. Yeah. And then, um, to be able to shoot instinctively, you know, and there there is aiming methods and stuff like that, but it's definitely instinctive compared to compound shooting where you have to know the yardage, you have to, you know, know what pin you're shooting at. And, you mm-hmm. know what I mean, like um, there's a lot more involved there than you know the shooting is more like throwing a baseball you know in the sense that you know you just you it's he's you don't say um he's 25 yards out there and Mm -hmm. i'm gonna throw him this baseball and try and hit him in the glove you know you just throw it or whatever yeah so interesting it kind of frees your mind from from some of that you know other stuff and it's kind of a more natural way to shoot and um the more like primitive i've gotten with some of these bows almost the better it feels or i don't know what it just, is just, is it like a rewarding thing like you just feel more <clears throat> yeah i, I think know, maybe that has it, something it to does do with it seem too. like so you killed this black bear with your trad mm-hmm. or with your recurve bow yeah uh and like i went out with a rifle and couldn't get it done <laughs> and i now i did i i wasn't so for for those of you that uh, are listening outside of the state of Idaho. The state of Idaho, um, it is not just legal, but it is encouraged to bait for bears, right? Sure. I mean, and yep. it's because we've got this crazy big population, and so they're trying to give more of the advantage to the hunter. And a lot of, I think a lot of people misconstrue that, mm-hmm. like, oh, hunting bears over bait, that's easy. That just makes it easy. Hell no. They've it's never not. baited a bear. Yeah, they've <laughs> never baited a bear. Like, not only is it a lot of work to set your bait site and and get your tree stand and and or ground blind or whatever, 
Um, these things are, I, and this is, we're talking about a very nocturnal, very leery, very sketchy animal that doesn't want to have anything to do with you. They've got heightened senses at all the time, all the time. So, um, I don't want the point of, of the fact for, for anybody not in Idaho to discount how difficult it is to get a bear even over bait. Oh, sure. Um, I mean, I tried with a rifle and I couldn't get it done. Uh, and I, 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 I tried all sorts of different things. And so... I'm I'm totally intrigued by the fact that you you got you got your your spot set up. Was it the same as your elk spot, by the way? It's uh, not that far off. <laughs> man, you have a honey hole from hell, man. <laughs> and uh, anyway, no, that's it's badass, man, to to go out there and and sit sit in a tree stand with a freaking recurve. I don't even know how you pulled that back in that, like, and 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 and, and whack this black or this black bear. Um, walk us through that story, man, because I'm obviously getting tripped up on my tongue here anyway, so it's your turn. Um, well, the, <laughs> what's nice about baiting bears is that, um, for one, you can sort of target certain bears. You, you're not very likely to, um, shoot a female with cubs because you're watching, you're watching these bears, you know, or whatever. You get to know them a little bit, yeah. Yeah, and you, I mean, you, it's not like you see a bear and you shoot it. Mm-hmm. You're waiting for it to come in. They they take some time to come in. They're super leery, you know, or whatever. And um, just watching their behavior up close is super cool. Like, I encourage anybody that can, you know, get out and sit on a bear bait to, to do it just to, I mean, I'm just try for the experience. Or, I'm totally you know, going to try whatever. next year. Yeah. But the, um, the reality of it is that these things are, I mean, take so much work, you know, or whatever. And it's, you're hauling all that bait up there, you know, multiple times a week sometimes you know mm-hmm. every every couple of days when at one point i had four bears hitting my bait and so i mean every couple of days it was like cleaned out and you really don't want it to get cleaned out you always want something there for them to keep them yeah. you know coming back or whatever because so, yeah i keep hearing like if they lose interest in the bait spot they just they pretty much stop coming to check <laughs> there's and i mean there is other people that bait and so they're getting pulled by other you know other mm. baits and stuff like that yeah, so true. it's kind of like who's got the secret recipe that what they really want or need you know but it seems to me like the way and timelines of how i see these bears it seems like maybe every four or five days i i see them you know or whatever yeah, and yeah, so they're yeah. kind of it seems like they're making the loop whether it's out to the you know the yeah, the dump like, side or the you know next bear bait or they're you know, like whatever. the damn golden corral man they can yeah, go from one right. barrel to the next yeah yeah, yeah for sure style that's so. <laughs> kind of funny sometimes you see them on your camera and they'll eat until they fall asleep and then they'll wake up and they'll eat some more and jeez <laughs> oh, that'd be interesting just watching that process and and seeing how uh the, the, how they do. The, it's so difficult to figure out the behavior of bears because they're so ghosty, you know? Right. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, that'd be super interesting. So you, you got your spot, you got yeah. your, you got your bait out there Yeah. and set up your tree stand and all that. Yeah. And so, and then I know that in this spot, my shot is 17 yards mm-hmm. in this tree stand. It's, um, I put myself up there quite a ways. It's like 30 feet, you know, up. I want bears, I mean, obviously have an incredible sense of smell. And so even when there's bait on the ground, they can, they know that when you're there and when you're not, and you have to literally trick them into thinking you're not there when, you know, when you're there or whatever. So, um, so sometimes they will just, they probably are sleeping a hundred yards from the bait 
they li- they listen to you go up to the bait and fill it up and then an hour later they'll be down in you know down in there oh, or really? whatever and do you ever like fill up the barrel and then get in the tree stand after so what i do in that in this location is i have a certain way i go up to my bait every single time and to fill it uh-huh and then i have a different route that i go to my tree stand and so if i bait the same day that i or that you know within hours of hunting I will go up and bait my spot. I'll go back to my truck. I'll change my boots, anything that may have gotten grease or, you know, anything on Mm -hmm. it. And then I walk a different route to my tree stand and try and get up in there without, you know, them. Man, that's a lot of work. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) You're in pretty good shape after bear season. (laughs) Yeah. And for whatever reason, I always seem to put them up on the hill. Like, I don't, I can't. Yeah. I, I don't know why. Yeah, I, don't I need know. to put them down the hill. <laughs> I don't know, man. Every every time I've I've seen bears, what's funny is I've never thought that much of bear hunting until this last year. Because uh-huh. I see them a lot when I'm out elk hunting or I'm deer hunting. Sure. You know, a lot of people don't. I think most hunters, when they're elk hunting or deer hunting, they're walking under these bears that are up in a tree. Sure. And they're not noticing them. Oh, yeah. And absolutely. I always notice. I always see them. But yeah. um, I've just never really cared about bear hunting mm-hmm. until like uh, about a year ago. I started getting interested and totally failed this year. Flopped, but I didn't bait at all. I just I tried to call them. I think it's I think that can be tough. You know, I I've um, I know that people have had a lot of success calling. I a friend of mine um, called a bear into himself accidentally during elk season one year. Oh, like with a cow call or something, or whatever. Yeah. And um, in fact, he called a cougar in one week and then two weeks later called a bear in and shot shot the cougar at like 20 feet oh really in the face was it pissed the cougar was well, it like he coming was in and looking you know yeah yeah. For, yeah i've always got a food. tag ready man. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I always kind of secretly hope that'll happen unless right. a unless i hear a bull bugling at back at me it'd be badass if i called in a bear or a mountain lion or something uh-huh. while i'm cow calling or something it's crazy about i'm sure cats are the same way but bears make no sound. I know they're crazy. It's yeah, crazy. It's yeah. I've never. It's and you know deer sneak up on you too, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But well, I mean the, anything does. I, I I've seen I've turned around and had a bull elk ten feet behind me, uh-huh. and <clears throat> it's moving, and I had no idea it was there. <laughs> right. Like it was so close, I couldn't turn around with my bow and make a shot because I would have blew him out, you know. And so it's it's just all these animals, and that's. What a lot of hunters, especially like people getting into hunting, they don't they don't realize these animals. This is what they do for a living. You know, you're in their environment. Yeah. They they know how to move quiet. They're I, good at surviving. They, they yeah they wouldn't be alive if they weren't. And yeah. so a lot of people I don't I don't think they realize that. So yeah. Um. Anyway. But so I um had this bear. Uh, I had multiple bears coming in. In fact, I had one pretty big bear like. 300 plus, you know, or whatever. And, um, for Idaho over a bait, it's, that's pretty, you know, pretty, pretty good. good. I know that there's, you know, guys out in, um, Missouri and, and other places, Michigan, you know, or whatever that they shoot these 500 pound bears, like, mm-hmm. you know, pretty regularly, but 500, 500 pound bear happens in Idaho, just not very often, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Um, but anyway, this big bear was coming in and so it got me pretty excited and, this was all during the coronavirus lockdown, and so I literally had more time to hunt than I ever have ever had, you know. And well, that was for one any good season. thing that came out yeah. of that. Thing, right? Yeah. You know? <laughs> so I had to put some 
bring home some bacon one way or the other, if even if it was going to be bear bacon sure. or whatever. <laughs> um, but I basically had one more week to hunt, and I knew that I was going back to work the next week, and so I tried to sit on my bait every every chance that I had, and had this um, younger bear. She's like a estimated that she was like a five-year-old female or whatever mm-hmm. um had a big white patch you know on her chest or whatever and she was coming in pretty regularly probably more regularly than the other three bears that were you know coming in um she had a real nice dark thick long you know coat on mm-hmm. her and i'm not like a trophy hunter in the sense that i i pretty much don't pass a lot of legal animals up you know or whatever yeah. like yeah i'm if a if something comes in and it's decent and it's, you know, legal, legal I'm going to yeah. try and kill it, you yeah. know, or whatever. And even though the, I had this other bear on my mind, it wasn't going to sway me in a way that I wasn't going to, I was going to pass something up to try and kill this other bear, you know, or whatever. And so, um, nothing's ever a guaranteed, you know, thing. Exactly. And so yeah. when this little bear came in, she, um, I first seen her about 60 yards through the brush and, big black mass walking through, you know, going through yeah. the brush. Oh, who's that big bear? You know, I was so excited. And, uh, <laughs> once she finally stepped out, I knew, you know, I knew it wasn't this big bear, but it gave me a moment to calm myself down and I get pretty worked up. And so it's, it takes yeah, a I lot for you, me yeah. <laughs> to, uh, you know, cool, cool the nerves a little bit. And that what's nice about over bait in a tree stand is, you know, I mean, you could probably sit and watch that bear for an hour and mm-hmm. finally take whatever shot, you know, you wanted to, t- to take, wait till it's totally right, you know, or whatever. And, um, it didn't, it didn't take too long. She actually initially worked up to the bait and then I went to, um, I don't think I was drawing my bow. I think I was like just kind of getting adjusted in the tree stand and she sent something and ran up the hill, you know, or whatever. Oh, and, um, it took her about a half an hour to kind of work her way back down. And she was pretty leery. And once she finally, it was basically the last hour of light. And so I knew that, you know, I mean, I needed to make a, Getting down make a to shot, it for you know, sure, if yeah. I was going to do it. I hate tracking bears at night, but it seems like that's just the way it always happens, you know, or whatever. Mm. And, um, but so I, she finally turned broadside and, um, I, you know, leased my arrow and watched it, you know, just disappear, get full penetration. And I could actually heard my arrow hit, you know, on the other side, you know, or whatever. And so I knew I had good, uh, penetration and stuff like that. In fact, I was amazed on, you know what I mean? Like that's been part of, um, something that has been on the back of my mind since I switched to trad is that. I probably overthink my setups a little bit just because I want to make sure that I don't have any issues with penetration or, you know, um, I didn't want to take up traditional hunting to be less effective, you know, or whatever. I think that's what my concern is. Yeah. And so, but I, one of the things that drove me to it is that everything that I've shot with a bow has been within 30 yards, you know, and Mm -hmm. it's certainly within a range that's capable, you know, with a trad bow and, like what's what's your max range for a compound versus a trad bow? You personally, you know what I've? It's kind of funny, but I don't think I really ever shot out past sixty yards with my compound bow, and I wouldn't have been comfortable shooting at anything more than forty. Yeah, ever. You know, I just never felt. That's kind of my cutoff with a compound. Yeah, and and again, that's that's subjective and personal preference yeah. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But for me, 
Um, I, yeah, 40 is probably my max on an elk. I, I'd go like 50 on a deer. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so and lately I've been doing the competition stuff. It's nice because you get out and shoot at some further distances and stuff like that, and I've been trying to kind of push my comfort zone and shooting i've been shooting out to you know 50 60 yards you know quite a bit lately and yeah. i'm not proficient at that range you know but um in fact i'm i have like a full-size um moose target and it i'm lucky to put it in the lungs at you at, know at 60 your place yards you do or, or something at a buddy's house oh do you yeah <laughs> and so um but we uh you know we definitely step out and, and try and practice out but mm. and where i I feel like I would right now I would be hesitant, but if the situation was right, you know, and if an elk was 40 yards away and I felt comfortable with the shot and he didn't know I was there, I probably would take that shot. You gotcha. know, um, out past 40 yards, it's, you know what I mean? Pretty sketchy. Like, yeah. And, <laughs> um, even at 40, you know, I mean, it's, I would yeah. definitely wouldn't take that shot on a deer. I don't think I'd shoot past 30 on a deer and, well, deer look, is so fast, it's just like with a trap. If you look at that bow. window, I don't know if you can see my deer, that buck target out there. It's out by that swing set. Oh, yeah. That's, it's 60 yards from where you're sitting. Oh, right. Yeah, and, and I can I can hit that all day long with my compound from here. But in a, in a life situation, I wouldn't shoot a deer that far yeah. away. Hell yeah. no. Yeah. Like, they're, they're going to hear it. A lot can happen. A lot can in, happen. Yeah, it's, time, just, so. it's just then you hit them in the kneecap and it's all over with. Right. And, you know, it's, it's just so. Anyway, uh, do you need another beer? Uh, I'm good. Okay. I, I need another beer, so I'm just going to pause this for a minute. Okay, we're back. Now, I want everybody to know Nate did take another beer after finally <laughs> I paused it and decided to go get one. Okay, so um, where'd we leave off, man? Now I'm drawing a blank. You, the bear, mm. she kind of went up the hill and then started working her way back. Yeah, and so I shoot this bear, and um, she actually wheeled around and tried to go right up where she came down from, basically. Uh And so I watched her run, try to run up this hill, and she kind of piled up right up, right at the top of the hill, and then started. I I don't even know how to explain it. Like rolling and running, you know, (laughs) like trying, you know, trying to flee, you know, or whatever, but. It was pretty steep in that area, and so she ended up kind of rolling down the hill. And yeah, um, I had a pretty good idea where she, you know where she was at, but it was I knew that by the time I I was going to give her 40 minutes, you know, just to, just to wait. And so I called my buddy and had him you know come up, and he picked up my son, and and we went up and and found her, and she was pretty much right where you know I right about where you thought right where I thought, and mm. so. It was nice to have some help in there, and we were able to. It, she actually ran right towards the truck. Or oh, really? And so it was another sixty yards that we didn't have to. Oh shoot! Pack her. Yeah, that's pretty nice. <laughs> yeah. That's a pretty good deal. So, like, to somebody who's never tasted bear meat, explain to them what like I, I was like getting people's take on on weird stuff mm-hmm. like this. Like, how would you describe bear meat? Um, you know, up until. Um, now we've definitely had some bear that I felt like had a flavor to it, you know, um, a flavor that I wouldn't describe as gamey, but it's definitely like a stronger flavor. It's very distinct, Mm -hmm. um, kind of 
greasy ish, you know, or whatever. And typically a lot of people make like sausages and stuff like that. And that's what we've, you know, done and had more of, I guess, or whatever. Um, it wasn't until this year that we started doing like bear roasts and stuff like that. And, um, I actually took this bear, I mean, within an hour of it dying was, you know, being cooled and, and, um, processed or whatever. And so, um, the meat was absolutely pristine. It smelled fantastic. It was like just very dark red, you know, meat, but it just, I mean, looked and smelled amazing. How do you do your roasts? Um, so the first, uh, set of roasts that we did were actually like Osobuco or like the shank roasts Uh or whatever. Uh And so we braised them for several hours and then seasoned them and then made tacos you know, from it or whatever. And it was absolutely fantastic. In fact, um, we do that with the shanks from deer and elk and stuff like that. And this was probably, this might've been the best of all of it. I mean, it Mm -hmm. was like so good. And my wife, um, up until now I sort of had an issue with bear. It wasn't her favorite flavor, you know, or whatever. And so, um, this bear totally changed her opinion on it. I mean, so far it's just been the best eaten thing that we've funny how that works. So, yeah. So my wife was not a big venison fan. Sure. Right. Because I always shot these big stinky mule deer up in the high country and you know, and I always thought it was good. It was fine. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I always used to laugh at these, these people would say, Oh no, whitetail tastes better and, and blah, blah, blah. And I've shot whitetail before. And, and I was like, I just never really noticed a difference. Well, so a couple years ago, I get this nice little, you know, little, I don't, I don't even remember how big, it wasn't very big, but little buck. And it, it changed my wife's perspective completely. Now yeah. she is like telling me, Hey, if they have any of those non-resident resident tags that you can get for a second tag, <laughs> right? Go get one and get another whitetail so we have because we're we just ran out. And oh right. Like my wife is a super good cook and what 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 changed my perspective on it is a lot of people like to take this wild game meat and treat it as if it's a domestic type sure. kind of meat, right? Yeah. Like so like elk is not cow, deer is not cow. Sure. It's not beef. Yes. And so you gotta treat it differently. And mm-hmm. uh but I mean that said, my wife I used to think her the the venison Swedish meatballs she makes oh, was yeah, that sounds like good. hands down the best thing I've ever had mm-hmm. until we go camping a couple weeks ago up on the river, and she took the tenderloin, and I think it was a tenderloin from this whitetail from last year, and uh, made these. Uh, it was venison fajitas. Oh yeah. Oh my god, man, yeah. they were so good. Yeah. They were so good. So anyway, now she thinks that I need to give up my mule deer passion and just chase whitetails, and and I'm having a tough time. I'm, I'm just gonna have to figure out how to get two tags. And, <laughs> right. And, you know. That's kind of so. how my wife. Um, you know, before this bear season, she's like kind of, you know, shaking her head. I don't mm-hmm. even know why you put so much effort into this, you know, or whatever. And she doesn't, she doesn't really give me a hard time about it. She really doesn't. But, um, you know, you can kind of see the writing on the wall or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, um, after I killed this bear, she was actually ready for my son to go out and kill one too, you know, or whatever. Cause, um, yeah, it was just been. It, the meat has just been great. You know? Yeah, that's awesome, man. We yeah. had some hams done from um, a local um, butcher, and the hams turned out just amazing. I hmm. mean, I'm gonna have to get the butcher name from you before you go. Yeah, well, yeah, for sure. Cool. No, that's that's awesome, man. I wanna let's switch gears and talk a little tattoo. Okay. <clears throat> no, actually, before we do that, 
what did it do to you personally as a hunter to kill a bear with a trad bow? Like, kind of give us your, as a hunter, this primitive thing that we do. You know, what, what was your reaction to it? Um, it's definitely rewarding, you know, and especially when you put as much effort into it, mm-hmm. you know, uh, um, I think that with, uh, traditional stuff, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a serious discipline and I'm, I'm not trying to say that any, that people that shoot compound bows aren't disciplined or don't shoot a lot. I'm not saying that. I just think that, um, with a traditional bow, it, it requires a certain, scenario for it all to work out you know i mean um the new compound bows are amazing and they can do amazing things people can shoot them a long ways they shoot super fast it's the same with rifles i mean you got people taking mm -hmm. shots at thousand yards with these things right right so yeah and it's not a i mean it's the ethics of it is all based on person to person but Mm -hmm. i there's certain guys out there that can shoot a hundred yards at an animal with a bow and it's not unethical because they know they're confident in doing it. Yeah, exactly. You know? exactly. And it's, um, with a trad bow, it's, it has to be up close, you know, or whatever. And, um, in North Idaho, I mean, this type of area kind of lends itself to trad bows anyway. I mean, for sure. I don't know. I mean, I've, you know, it's, I don't see deer and elk out at 200 yards very often. I know, man. It's at 50 yards almost every time. I had to get this scope on. I I got this new rifle. Actually, I got it from the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation banquet. I won it. Uh It's been sitting in my safe for a couple years. Finally, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to throw some glass on this thing. And I I go in, and the guy is trying to sell me this crazy scope that, you know, I'm mainly, I'm like 80% bow hunter and only 20% rifle hunter. So I don't really know much about uh, your optics and scopes and, and, and that kind of stuff. And I, he's like, oh, this thing, you know, you can count the dingleberries on a deer's ass at a thousand <laughs> yards kind of thing. I'm like, dude, I, when I'm hunting with a rifle, I'm always in North Idaho. I usually don't go out of state for a rifle. Yeah. Hunt. And I don't know of anywhere where you're going to have a thousand yard opportunity. You'd be hard pressed to find a shot like that. You just you not, know? It's just not going to happen. I could see it if you're sitting on one, you know, they, they have those clear cuts from, uh, where they're logging or whatever. And you might, you, you might see something across a Canyon or, right. or, or whatever the ravine. I, but, but for the most part, man, all the shots I take on most of actually, I take that all the deer I've killed in North Idaho have been, uh, in terms of rifle hunting have been with my open sights, 30, 30 lever action, um, you know, the, the, my, the hell bitch, I call it the hell bitch and <laughs> the hell bitch has killed all my North Idaho yeah, deer, man. It's a and perfectly suitable for, it totally is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It totally is. So, um, anyway, I don't know where we were going with that, but, oh, getting back to kind of, you know, it, it's like that for everything. Like you can, some people are comfortable at a thousand yards with a rifle. Other people aren't, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't be. And I'm a third award expert Marine sharpshooter. You know, you know, right. I, I would not shoot a deer at that, but it's just not my thing. Right, right. And and like you were saying, people taking 100-yard shots with a with a compound. Uh, it's not my thing, but I'm not It's gonna, impressive. It's it is it's super impressive. Yeah. You know, I I feel like there is definitely some risk in that, but there's it depends on who's doing it. Like yep. you wouldn't I guarantee you me taking a 100-yard shot with a compound would be an unethical thing. Right. That exactly. doesn't mean somebody who's more proficient, it wouldn't be. Sure. And so you're now you're even making it even more finite with this this compound bow 
or I'm sorry, uh, this tradbo, this this uh, recurve. You you definitely it's are. Insane. You limit yourself. You know what I mean. And that's kind of what the traditional stuff is kind of more about. You know, you're limiting your shot to a certain shot. You're you know what I mean. Like, mm-hmm. um, if game is aware at all, I mean, these things shoot around 160 feet per second. You know, it's half the speed of these modern, you know, compound bows. And so, um, it takes, it takes a minute for, for your arrow to get there and stuff like that. So, um, but it's, man, the more friends I have on, you know, Facebook and seeing them kill stuff with trad bows and, and, um, seeing what, you know, for myself, what, what they're capable of doing after shooting that bear it gave me, it boosted my confidence. Tenfold, so you're, you're you know. going to go after elk with that thing, right? Yes. Sweet, man. All right. We're going to, we're going to talk about, we're going to have to, we need to like commit to at least one day of elk hunting together. Yeah, absolutely. Let's I do mean, it. we're both in North Idaho. Let's do this, man. Yeah. I think it'd be fun. But, uh, switching gears going, going back to this, uh, we were talking tattoos, mm-hmm. right? And, one thing that I didn't, I forgot to mention in the beginning of uh, when we started recording this, if you guys have seen the logo for the Western Huntsman, it's, that is Nate's uh, artwork right there. That's right. That's right. So, and I, I had made a joke to my wife. Um, I, I was like, I think it'll take like a year or more to get like 10,000 downloads on the podcast, right? <laughs> right. And I'm like, I was making a joke to my wife. I'm like, okay, if I get, if I get 10,000 downloads, in the first year, I'm going to get this thing tattooed on me or something. And, and we're just laughing and joking about it or whatever. But um, I'm glad I didn't do that. Like, we surpassed that weeks and weeks ago, months oh, ago. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. And, like, this podcast has been – it's just really surprised me. And so um, I would have had several tattoos by now. Yeah. And so I, I don't want to do that. But uh, I do want a tattoo, man. Okay. I, I need a new tattoo. I was telling you before we started recording, me and my wife, we keep threatening. Right. And uh, we just never do it. And so it's, it's time. So how'd you get into becoming a tattoo artist? Um, so I, I basically, uh, my grandfather taught me to draw when I was young mm-hmm. and, um, taught me a, like a love and appreciation for art. And, um, basically like when everybody else wanted to be a fireman or a policeman, like I wanted to be an animator. I wanted to work for Walt Disney and from a, I mean, from, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. from Making, the time yeah. I was like little, I just, identified with that, you know, and mm-hmm. like, um, always was very, you know, had a creative imagination and, and this was a way to, you know, kind of put it down on paper. And, um, you know, as for, as far as my grandpa, um, goes him and my grandma would be watching me, um, during the daytime when my parents were at work and I'm sure I was like tearing up the house and, making a mess over here and breaking this or that. And so my grandpa's like, you need to sit down and do this drawing assignment, you know? And so he would occupy my time with that. And was he was an artist? Or? Mm-hmm. Oh, was yeah. He? Not as uh, not professionally, but I'm sure he could have been, you know, or whatever. Sure. And, um, he did a lot of, especially after he retired, he did a lot of woodworking and made just some really, really cool stuff. And mm-hmm. he would take these rounds of wood and, um, dremel like a deer or an elk into it and then paint it and and make it into like a clock or a table or um he was very very talented and um like helped to um 
just nurture that kind of appreciation for art and stuff like that at a young age. And mm-hmm. as I got older, I realized that I wasn't going to be an animator and that I wasn't, you know, I really wasn't good at like cartoons and stuff like that. I always kind of lent myself more to like, um, realism or like illustrative style, you know, art or whatever. And, um, when I, after I graduated, um, I actually went to school for a couple of years for graphic design, but realized pretty yeah. quick that that wasn't a direction that I wanted to go with, you know, as a career, I couldn't see myself sitting behind a computer in a white walled cubicle and, you know, just yeah, me neither, man. wasn't my style, you know, or whatever. Yeah. And <clears throat> like no offense to anybody that does that, but I, I, that just sounds like prison to me. Right. I, I can't sit in a cubicle. Yeah. And I've always been hands on with my art and it was a, he basically took college courses for two years and learned how to use Photoshop, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. It was like, it was, and it was a struggle every, you know, bit of the way or yeah. whatever. And, um, but at that time I was doing a lot of art, producing a lot of art and, um, had a friend that was getting tattooed by a guy that had a shop and he would come over to the house and hang out and I would show him my artwork and, um, sort of ask him to critique it and, you know, what I needed to do, you know, or whatever. And, um, we kind of started hanging out and I basically started just hanging around the shop and I didn't know if I wanted to be a tattooer at that time, but I knew that, um, I wanted to learn more about it. How old were you then? I was like 21, 22. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, did you have any tattoos yet? I had a few. Yeah. And, um, Tattooing industry used to be, I mean, it's so different now, you know, I mean, I started in 2000 and so, um, I guess I was 23 at the time and it was, uh, vastly different, you know, um, what do you mean? Like, uh, tattooing was so guarded and so I guess traditional that, for such a long period of time, for a hundred years, it based industry basically went unchanged. There was no, not a lot of advancements happening in the tattoo industry for that time. Okay. Okay. Um, there were certain artists and that really stood out above, you know, everybody else and they had secrets that they wouldn't tell anybody else, you know, <laughs> or whatever that kept them, you know what I mean? In that position or whatever, but it was something that, you know, um, it was hard to get somebody to teach you something, you know, about tattooing and, um, so not a lot of mentorship and, yeah, and things like yeah, that. Yeah. And I, I would say in the nineties things started to change, you know, information started becoming shared and people that were actually successful artists in other fields started, you know, going towards tattooing as a career or whatever. And it, it started to, um, change things for the better for sure. You know, like, um, at first it was, uh, pretty exploratory in the sense that, you know, people were doing a lot of new things and it was exciting, you yeah, know, or whatever, yeah, yeah. not all those things worked out, you know, or whatever, but at least things were going, you know, kind of in the right direction or whatever. And after I started tattooing, I would say, I mean, honestly, like you could almost put, um, you know, put a finger on the pulse of when tattooing really started to take off. And it was literally when like Miami Inc and like the tattoo show started coming up on TV. Oh yeah, the reality kind of, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I knew from the beginning that, you know, if you want 
reality TV, you put a camera in a tattoo shop, you know what I mean? Like there's <laughs> typically drama, you know, or whatever. Oh, I bet. And so well, I think I, I always kind of look at it like, uh, you know, artists are kind of dramatic people. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's the same for, so, and I've talked about this on, on the show in the past. I'm a musician, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we had, we had a band, we had a bus, we had gigs all over the place. And, uh, I had, I had this, you know, the, the guys in my band, they were, f- I'm trying to watch my mouth, but they were fucking drama queens, man. And we <laughs> right. all were <laughs> right. because we're all like these are art, artistic, creative people. Yeah. yeah. Everybody's got like, egos. Everybody's and, got an ego. Yeah. And, and, um, it was it was super it was high drama so i i can totally see how like in a tattoo shop you know there, there's like just dr- a lot of drama on there yeah and, and so i guess what we didn't expect or didn't you know what i mean weren't really seeing from that is that um there was people out there that were tuning into these shows that you would have never seen in a tattoo shop they would have been so far away from a tattoo shop, but they like were kind of taboo kind of thing. Is absolutely. That what it is? Yeah. You know, and especially for, for women for a long time, you know, like it was one thing if you were a guy and you had a tattoo, you're like, Oh, he used to just be in the army. He's a Marine or, you know, he's a firefighter or whatever. Like they, you sort of associated, you know, that type of stuff with mm-hmm. tattoos for women. They didn't have it so good. You know what I mean? Like if, a woman was tattooed, people were typically very, very negative, you know, towards that. And they would express their negativity onto those people. You know what I mean? Yeah. For, I totally know what you mean, man. Back in the eighties, it was like totally frowned upon for yep. a woman to have a tattoo. And yep. now like most women have tattoos. Yeah, absolutely. I think they're, um, just this really cool way of, of it's like this, this way of self-expression. You absolutely. Know? And, and, and I think it's important yep. that people have that some kind of identifier. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, when I first started getting into tattooing or, and at, you know, right around this time, um, our biggest clientele were women, middle-aged women, yeah. you know, and these ladies would have been tattooed years ago if it was more socially acceptable, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, but this, these shows allowed people that would have never stepped foot into a tattoo shop to see it from the comfort of their own living room and realize that it's not what maybe they thought it was, you know, or whatever. And, um, I never thought about it like that. Yeah. No, if you talk to tattooers and like, and you even say Miami Inc, it's like a pretty negative thing, you know what I mean? Cause it's like they focused on the drama and stuff like that, but there's a lot of positive things that came out of all these tattoo shows, you know, or whatever. And mm-hmm. it, if you're a tattooer and you're busy right now, it's because of that period. You yeah. know what I mean? It's, um, and you know, that may, that doesn't have everything to do with it, but, um, it wouldn't be, we wouldn't be in a position we are right now. With Something, that. Yeah, yeah. That's what spiked it. That, that's mm-hmm. what kind of made tattoos more acceptable or, or even more so the norm. Like I feel like, in a lot of cases, you you go places more people have tattoos and don't. You know That's what I mean. What, and, and you know, I would say that probably in in the past, like say thirty years ago, thirty percent of the tat or thirty percent of the population was tattooed. Now it's totally vice versa. Probably seventy yeah. percent. Yeah, seventy 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 five percent. Yeah, for sure. What do you think? Of, what do you think of my Marine Corps tattoo, man? That one. I, my grandpa had the same tattoo. Did he? The yeah. Eagle Globe and Acre. Yeah. Okay, I want to ask you something about that. See how it's all blurry? Yeah. Is that because I was wasted when I got it? No, it didn't have anything to do with that. A lot of that has to do with um, 
the needle groupings they're using and like going too deep. Because I'm not super happy with this tattoo. Man. Sure. It's all faded. And, or, yeah. So this top one where it says USMC, mm-hmm. I walked out of boot camp in San Diego, California and got it on Mission Beach. Right. And and this dude tattooed it. I'm, I'm happy with that one. This one, we just got back from Iraq. We knew we were getting out. We go drinking at this bar. <laughs> we get all drunk and decide it's a good idea to go get a tattoo. Sure. And I don't, rem- I literally don't remember. It's like the quintessential story, man. I woke up the <laughs> next morning, had this bandage on my arm, yeah. And I remember buying a uh, like an 18 pack of Budweiser for the tattoo artist. That's all I remember. <laughs> right, yeah. And now this is a result, and you can't even see it says 0311 down there, which was my MOS in the Marines. Uh-huh. And anyway, um, it's always better if they don't drink the beer before they tattoo you. So you think so because that's that's always what that's what my wife tells me. She's like, it's because you were drunk. It got all faded, and and Eric got all blurry, and and I didn't know. I just, you know, usually my wife tells me something I believe her, but that's not the case, huh? <laughs> no, it's probably more of a technical issue. Technical or, issue. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to tell her. She didn't normally listen to this. I'm going to tell her a lot. <laughs> yeah. Of course, I never really argued with her, just so tell I can't her that say it was that I was because right. the tattoo artist was drunk. Okay, I'll tell him. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, he may have been, man. Right. I, he, this is, we're talking midnight. We right. went into this tattoo shop, and this guy starts giving us all tattoos. And, and I don't remember. I, I shouldn't even admit that on the podcast. But. <laughs> Uh, anyway, yeah, so um, can you fix it? Is that fixable? Oh, yeah, yep. Totally? Yeah, it can be it cleaned really up. Yep, really? Totally. Okay, we're going to talk about that because it's a super sentimental tattoo. Absolutely. You know? But, uh, no, that's awesome. So I got a question for you. Being a tattoo artist, now, if you got kids in the car, they need to wear earmuffs. <laughs> uh, like, what's the most uh, – what's the craziest spot you've ever put a tattoo at? Oh, there's – people ask for weird – stuff you know like inside the ear inside the lip or like just spots that you would never think that you would even want a tattoo or like how you even hurt how would you even attempt to to tattoo those you know spots or whatever but i definitely have i've got a crazy tattoo story for you okay and so um you know when i when i first started tattooing i was very uh I guess more likely to impose my own opinion upon these poor people that are getting tattooed, you know, or whatever. (laughs) And so, and I don't think that's necessarily my, my place. Um, but if you're going to get a ridiculous tattoo, somebody should say something, you know, or whatever. For sure. And so, and I used to have, I almost felt like getting a name tattooed of a significant other was like the curse, you know, and it almost felt like that, which, I don't think it is. I think that probably there's people out there that get a tattoo to save a relationship or something like that, which is already on the, you know what I mean? Like trying to prove themselves or whatever, but that's a, that's a terrible idea, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and I, you should always feel good about getting a tattoo to, you know, to represent your loved one, you know, or whatever. But, um, I used to ask people a lot, like, Whose name is this? Is this your boyfriend's name, girlfriend's name, husband's name, wife's name, father's name, you know, daughter's name, whatever. And um, this lady came in and she wanted a tattoo and and uh, she wanted this name, uh, Dwight. You know, not a lot of Dwights out there. Sure. And so she, and I said, well, is this your boyfriend's name? Is this your husband's name? Is this your son's name? She's like, well, haha, you know, it's my ex-husband's name. And I was, I just looked at her. <laughs> I couldn't even believe she just told me what she told me. And I was like, well, this is a terrible idea. You know, like, uh, 
she is, wanted a tattoo of her ex-husband. Yeah, and she's laughing it off like it's <clears throat> like it's something to laugh about, and she's like, "Well, it's just a joke, and we're just we're still friends." And I'm in my mind, I'm thinking this is like a joke's one thing, but this is permanent, you know, or yeah. whatever. And she's like, "Well, if I." Um, I'll just have it removed someday, you know, willy nilly, like it's like some it's, easy like process, it's easy. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. or whatever. And um, and I was just like, man, you know, and I literally talked to this lady for like 30 minutes, tried to talk her out of getting this tattoo, and she literally told me that if she would just go somewhere else to have it done. And so I was like, well, I'm not your mom, I'm a tattooer, you know, so yeah. sit down and let's do this tattoo. But I'll tell you right now, if you ever came back to have it covered up, I would charge you double on principle. <laughs> Just for being dumb, and I like can't even tell you how stupid this is. She cooked you know? her breakfast on a spoon. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, so I do this tattoo, Dwight. You know, and don't even, you know, don't even think about it. You know, I never see her again. Well, it's a few years later, and I'm working in a different tattoo shop, different town. And this lady walks in. I don't recognize her. She obviously doesn't recognize me. And she's like, well, how much to get this tattoo covered up? And she shows me, and there it fucking is. Mm. Dwight. And I looked at her, one? and I was just blown away, you know. <laughs> and for a sec, I just looked at her to see if maybe she recognized me. <laughs> and I was like, and she's like, well, how much would it be? And I said, well, $900, you know, and she's like, what? Why would it be so much? You know, it's such a small tattoo. And I said, I fucking told you I'd charge you double. And she looked at me and her mouth about hit the floor. Oh, and finally she yeah. recognized her. Oh, my hell, <laughs> and man. She didn't even know what to think. And so she literally just turned around and walked, <laughs> walked away. So she didn't hire you for it. It was worth it to do the tattoo <laughs> just to have the story, you know. I was like, oh, that's pretty I'll fantastic. never talk anybody out of getting a tattoo again. Yeah, no, why? <laughs> why? It's their call. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool, man. I did not, I, I did not hear or see that one coming. Right. So, and Dwight, of all things. Yeah. And hopefully she likes the office. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool, man. And people come in and they they get like hunting and fishing tattoos from you. You post yeah. them sometimes. Yeah, that's kind of. Um that's definitely my niche in the industry, especially in this area. I mean, it's... Well, I think it's rare to have somebody who's uh, like a, a solid artist and into art and that, that like what we were talking about, that creative side, right? Mm-hmm. And and also big into hunting. It's not... it's not These two worlds don't mesh as often as, as maybe other worlds. Sure. Mesh, you know what I mean? And um, so I, I think that's that's pretty badass. You did... Somebody had like that... Uh, was it an elk bugling? Oh or yeah, something like, yep. like I've seen one of those, and yep. he did a really cool trout. Yep. one time and um, lots of landscapes, lots of landscapes, northwesty, mm-hmm. you know, inspired stuff for sure. Yeah, I didn't know there was like that much of a call for it. How I, often do you do those? I didn't either. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's funny when I first first started tattooing it, nobody wanted to tattoo that stuff, and they it's because they all look terrible. You know, like if you've mm-hmm. seen a a deer or an elk tattoo from from the nineties, it's not oh, going to like, there's, there was a handful of people in the U S that were capable of tattooing that type of stuff. And they definitely immersed themselves into that lifestyle, you know, or whatever. And, yeah. um, I'm not saying there's, there's so many great tattooers now, you know, I mean, you see amazing things from people all over the place. And every time you open up Instagram, it's just like, yeah, tattoo blows you away, you know, yeah, or for sure. And so, 
um, I'm pretty lucky to work with the guys that I work with and um, work with some of the best tattooers in the Northwest. I mean, it's uh, you it's, guys are at Anchored Anchored Art Tattoo yep, in Spokane, Spokane. Washington. Yeah, yeah, right downtown. Yeah. yeah, I think I think that too. Uh, to the, to that point that you just made, uh, the tattoo artists have gotten better. Yes. Uh, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I, I remember, I think it was like the worst tattoo I've ever seen too. I, I'm, I'm in the Marines. We're out in North Carolina and they're, you know, you know how military towns are. Yep. They're just full of tattoo shops, pawn shops and strip clubs, basically. The first stop outside the base is always a tattoo shop. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so this dude... Ah oh, man, I'm like I, I not that I would say his name on air, but I can't remember his name. But anyway, he comes he comes shows up Monday morning for for Monday formation or whatever. And he's got this brand new tattoo on his <laughs> forearm. You want to know what it was? He had a pack of Marlboro Reds oh, God. cigarettes tattooed on his forearm, man. That's not tacky. <laughs> Who does that? Yeah. He probably secretly listens to this, and he's yeah. like, oh, shit, I'm, I'm getting called out, man. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, the the point to that, like a lot of a lot of dudes, when I was in the military, they would show up with these tattoos, and, and like the artwork was really not that great. Right. And like that particular one, the box wasn't even totally uh, straight, like the lines, and it looked like. I think you part know, of that had to do with for a long time, tattooers weren't tattooers because they were all that inspired by art or like that was a thing. They were more tattooers because they lived on the fringes of society. You know, mm-hmm. they didn't want to conform to a nine to five. They didn't want to. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it, which the, I can feel the that. industry yeah. has changed, uh, like a hundredfold or whatever. Like if you walk into our shop, it's the most professional place that you've ever walked into. Everything's clean and sterile. And, uh, most of our tattooers are booked a year out. And so it's like, shit, I didn't think about that. How far out are you booked? I think I start opening up in February of next year. Oh man. I can't even get one in the winter because I sit in the hot tub too much. (laughs) Oh, right. We can sit like this. (laughs) (laughs) What if I want you to tattoo my nipple? Then I, I can't know, get in the hot tub. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> Is that too personal? You wouldn't do my. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't try to talk people out of getting tattooed. I want Dwight. <laughs> I want Dwight tattooed right under my nipple. Around Is it? Is that cool? Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, around it like a star. <laughs> oh, man. Well, this, is, uh, this has been a fun conversation, man. <clears throat> Let's uh, talk about this youth hunter involvement, uh, the, this foundation that you're you're involved with, because uh, it, what's interesting about it is, uh, it's, it's like, I'm big into the youth, getting a youth involved in, in the hunting, uh, or the world of hunting. You know, if, if I, and I, I'm like embarrassed that I didn't know about this foundation and this foundation is called first hunt foundation. Uh, there's chapters all over the place, but they're, they're kind of based out of Kamii, Idaho. Right. Um, and tell us a little bit about it. Um, it's a it's a great foundation. I've been with them for a couple of years now. Um, I got turned on to them by a friend of mine that knew that I was mentoring kids and taking them out to to hunt and stuff like that. And this organization um, has mentors all over the country. Um, they have some pretty great resources. I mean, you can kind of like team up with other guys um, or people, not necessarily guys, but um, that mentor and um, some of them are more into, you know, waterfowl hunting. Some of them are more into big game hunting, turkey hunting. You know, it's um, it's a pretty great organization, and they um, 
they give a lot of support to their mentors and they provide inf- uh, insurance on them. And so I pretty much try to encourage anybody that is already mentoring kids or people um, to be a part of their organization. Where where do the kids that, or, or I mean, I guess it doesn't necessarily have to be kids, right? Just right. first hunters, first, right? Yeah, but, I, took but, a, I took a guy out for uh, his first ever dove hunt a couple of years ago, and I think he was 65 years old. And oh, so, no kidding. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a, a youth necessarily or... Okay, so the, where where do they so they can basically find this 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 foundation, and the foundation links them up with like a mentor that's close to them yep. to take them out for the first time, yep. youth or no youth, sure. Um, and and you're involved. They actually have. I know that in their area they have. Um, they do a lot of um, <clears throat> of. Um, like shooting clinics and stuff like that where they, you know, teach people firearm safety, teach them how to shoot a gun, um, you know, kind of get them all set up. A lot of, most of us had our, you know, uncles or dads or grandpas or, you know, whatever, kind of like helping us along the way. But there's a lot of kids out there that don't have. Yeah, they don't have that. They don't have that. And yeah. they it might be interesting to them and they it might be something they might really enjoy, um, but they just don't have the resources. And you can donate $20. So I want to read. Okay, it says how we're helping. We are a national organization dedicated to keeping our hunting heritage alive. With the help of our tireless volunteers, we seek out those with a spark of desire to learn about hunting and strive to give them their first experience that will develop into a lifelong passion for the outdoors. We know from research that giving youth outdoor experiences will enhance their physical and mental health, and they will pass on these values uh, to their own families. This is this is badass, man. This is cool. I didn't even know this existed. I want to like there's it shows the president. I wonder if I can get him on the show. Oh, absolutely. I bet. Uh, yeah, I'd like. That. I'm gonna I'm gonna reach out and see if I can get him on the show and and learn more about this program because I just didn't because and you and I have we've like messaged back and forth about it. Um, the, the importance of getting youth involved. Yeah. And I know a lot of the, the big hangup that I see a lot is, is people are like, Oh, you know, there's already too many hunters. There's, there's, uh, we're, we're already overcrowded. And well, that number is, um, it's, it, we are compromised. Well, it's, there's it's a more, dying number because it is. Yeah, there's absolutely. not as much youth getting involved. And so eventually those numbers are going to dwindle. It, it's know? totally I mean, going to, and it's, we're not that far from that, mm-hmm. uh, like a rapid decline. Sure. You know what I mean? Yep. Because of a lot, a lot of our hunters, the next uh, generation is definitely not as interested. Be, we have to take these kids that have an interest in it and, and, you know, put a good experience in mm-hmm. front of them. And, so I'm, uh, well, I'm not going to let that cat out of the bag, but I, I've been doing a lot of research and um, the, the, I guess one way to look at it is we are essentially outnumbered as hunters. Yeah. Okay. Uh, by a factor of like six to one from anti-active, anti-hunting uh, people involved in anti-hunting organizations. We sure. are outnumbered about six to one. It's a problem. Sure. So if we're not getting youth involved and you've been great about you got your kids involved, you're involved with this program. Uh, these these are super important things to be involved with, and I I, I just wanted to make people aware of this foundation uh, before we wrap this up because I, I I again I'm embarrassed I didn't know about it and and I think it's I think it's awesome. This is this is what we need. Sure. This is the kind of stuff we need. 
In this so, day and age, I mean, especially especially in this day and age, I think that um, one of the things that I focus on is firearm safety and um, teaching kids to have a love and respect for what that weapon's capable, I think, is more important than, you know what I mean, than a, yeah, than a lot of it, the you ethics, know, or whatever, the, yeah. Um, and so I, I, uh, I'm a strong supporter of the second amendment. It's something I want to see continue the rest of my lifetime mm-hmm. and theirs. And I think involving more people in a, in an enriching way, um, is definitely important, you know, or whatever. Man, that is such a good point because you have so many of these kids that are kind of grown up in these is super urban settings and yep. these, these, you know, these great big metropolitan type areas, right? These big cities. They're never exposed to it, so they don't have a lot of um, experience, positive or negative, with firearms. Sure. So then they get into it can college, be scary or and some liberal left-wing anti-gun, anti-Second Amendment professor says one little thing, and all of a sudden Plant they're the seed, activists yeah. against the Second Amendment. For sure, and that's what happens. And so it could be uh, a positive experience that they had as a child. Learning how to use those guns that yeah. changes their perspective on things. Exactly. Or, yeah. Exactly. And so if they had just a little bit more education and understand that that these the guns, as not just an American right, but as as just you know to be used as a tool, whether you're hunting or for defense or for recreational use, you know, yep. as, as a sport. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they don't have they don't have to be this negative thing. And and people growing up in areas like you and I. Um, it's just part of life for us. Absolutely. It's these big cities where this is a problem. Mm-hmm. And so um, we can have a whole podcast on that, man. Yeah, totally. <laughs> You're like, uh, yeah, um, spark, spark some serious interest there. So this first hunt foundation, um, I'm going to put the, I'm going to actually, I'm going to put it in the, in the show notes, the, the first hunt foundation.org. Uh, and I'm going to find out a lot more about this. I mean, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you would want, the listeners to know about this organization um you know like they're wanting to start a chapter up in our area and so the more people that we can get in north idaho the better and it just makes our resources that much better and a network of people to communicate with and um, most of the people that are involved with this are definitely putting themselves second and these kids first and so they need to you know like we're all very helpful and want to give these people as much information as we can and, mm-hmm. you know, be as helpful as we can or whatever. And so sweet, man, I, I want to be involved. If you guys, Absolutely. whatever I can yeah. do to help, I, this is, this is right up my alley. Anybody that's already taken somebody out once a year needs to be a part of this organization. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm with you. I, I'm not sure. I mean, I'd take a kid out that yeah. I didn't know out on on uh, on an elk hunt. I'd spend a morning or, yeah, or day awesome. or whatever. You know, the I, best days of my hunting career, I never touched a weapon, never touched a oh, trigger, yeah, never too. shot a. Me you too. know what I mean? It's so. just, uh, it's it's it like you never learn as much as when you're trying to teach somebody else. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Absolutely. And so that's that's one thing that I think maybe some people don't recognize by being a mentor and being a teacher for these youth hunters or these new hunters, you will learn more than, than most likely they will. Uh, not only about hunting, but about yourself, about and, yourself, and, you know, for sure. and, and just uh, this, this, just this bigger picture yeah. that is, is, is super cool. I'd love to take, I'd love to take a new hunter out on a pheasant hunt, man. Yeah. That's, that's a lot of action, right? you know, and they would love mm-hmm. to go out. 
Yeah, they would. Yeah. They would. And my, uh, I think I was talking about him earlier. My bird dog, he's getting fat and old, <laughs> but he'd still love to go. Right. As long as I can keep him off the porcupines, we're, we'll be <laughs> yeah. in good shape. Yeah, that's so. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's the tough part, man. No, this is. Uh, this is a great foundation. I'm going to find out more. Uh, so, so listeners out there, uh, just just be advised. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to find out more for us uh, about this topic and this this foundation and see see if I can I can get the president on and, yeah, and the founder or whatever. And yeah, I think it's I think it's awesome, man. Appreciate you sharing that with us. So, um, thanks for coming on. Thank you. This Jim. has been Appreciate cool, man. Our, so okay, and and you'll come back on right after I say I come and get a tattoo from you. Put me on your list, <laughs> right? Not for February. Maybe we'll you're just gonna have to push it out. Do it on the podcast. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> we'll we'll get you bring your little uh, needle gun over and start doing a tattoo, and we'll just record while we're talking. Then you can't cry. Yeah, exactly. I'd have to man up. Right. Man. I could not be a bitch at that point. <laughs> yeah. I'd have to be tough. <laughs> so. Cool. Thanks again for coming on, Nate. Um, do you want to tell anybody where where they could find you or Anchored Art Tattoos or um, um, Anchored Art? We're right downtown. We're in the Polson Building in Spokane. It's uh, 421 West Riverview Drive. Um, you can go on to the website AnchoredArtTattoo.com and see everybody's portfolio. And we all kind of have our own, you know, style and like niche kind of thing. Yep, absolutely. Sweet. And so, um, no matter what type of imagery or style you're looking for we got somebody that's just going to knock it out of the park sweet sweet man and uh, they've got like probably facebook and instagram yeah all that kind of stuff yeah Yeah. very very um have a strong online presence or good deal cool man no this is awesome this has been one of my favorites man oh that was a good conversation yeah (laughs) yeah thank you it's been fun i appreciate you coming on and uh we will uh we will be in touch and uh, you heard it from him Uh, From the horse's mouth, he's going to tattoo me while we're recording a podcast. (laughs) Uh, Thanks, Nate. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Western Huntsman Podcast. Glad you joined us. If you liked that episode, please tell a friend and let me know what you thought at jimandthewesternhuntsman.com. And don't forget to check out our show sponsors. The links are in the show notes. Stay Western, and I'll see you on the mountain.